Odd Trails contains adult language and content. These stories can be frightening for some. Listener discretion is advised. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. At the time, in 2016, I was a single mother with an eight-year-old son. We moved into a small two-bedroom duplex outside of Dallas, Texas. It was small but quaint, and all that I could afford at the time. We were settling in just fine, but I began to notice small things happening. Little things. Like in the morning, I would often find the front door unlocked when I know that I did lock it. Being a single mom, and being afraid of the dark, I've watched way too many scary movies in my life. I know the importance of locking a door, but numerous times I would find the door unlocked or the chain lock left open. It was too high for my son to reach at the time. A few times while in the bathroom, putting on my makeup, I would see someone out of the corner of my eye walk past the bathroom door. It happened so quickly that it had me thinking that my mind was just playing tricks on me. Past the bathroom is my bedroom and the laundry room. I would check both of these out and of course there was no one there. It had to be in my head, right? The hall light between my son's room and mine would sometimes turn on and off on its own. But hey, this place was built in the 1980s so it's probably just faulty wiring. Also, At least once a week, I would hear my son cry out at night. Mom? I would go to check on him, and of course he was fast asleep. Well, one day, I woke up to find my 65-inch TV, and this was a big tube TV, the older ones. It was completely moved from where it was positioned in the living room. That same morning, the door was unlocked again. Now my son could not have moved it. He was too small. Those things are so heavy. Did someone come in and attempt to steal it? I had no real way to explain this. Then, the stench from the laundry room began. It smelled like sulfur. At first, it wasn't so bad, but as the weeks went on, the smell got stronger and stronger. It was a very small space, and I often felt unsettled and claustrophobic while in that room trying to do laundry. I would tell my friend at work about the strange happenings, and she really started to believe that something spiritual was there. Since it hadn't harmed either of us, maybe it was a good spirit. I found comfort in that. I began to really think that maybe something was in the house and it wasn't in my mind, but maybe it was good so that was okay. Now, as the smell of the laundry room grew, so did the nightly 
happenings. Almost nightly, something would occur. Whether it was a shadow moving across my open door, my son calling out to me all while being asleep, or the hallway light turning on and off by itself. Once while taking a shower, the lights went off in the bathroom. I was terrified and honestly too scared to look past the curtain to try and turn the light switch back on. But I opened the curtain, and I could only see darkness. I screamed for my son and he opened the door, letting in some light. I finally got the courage to get out and flip the switch back to its on position. From that day on, I took baths with the curtain open and the door cracked just a bit. One night, I was asleep in my room when I felt this very heavy hand on my right shoulder. I jumped up out of fright and I saw this tall woman with long hair wearing a white nightgown in front of my doorway. She was pointing towards the front door. I'm getting chills just thinking about it again. She didn't have a face, though. Think of something like the girl from The Ring, but taller, and with no face. I blinked a couple of times and she disappeared. I quickly ran to my son's room, terrified to walk past that spot, but I had to grab my son. I grabbed him and then locked the door, but I didn't sleep much that night. The next morning, I really tried to convince myself that it was just a dream. You know, one of those very vivid dreams. You aren't sure if you're awake or not. But I couldn't get past it. It seemed so real. Now from that night on, my son slept with me in my room with the door locked. Several times, I would see a shadow under the door, and I would hear the doorknob handle on the bedroom door jiggle like someone was on the other side turning the knob back and forth. I lost so much sleep. I was so terrified of what was behind that door trying to figure out what I could do to protect my son from it. I decided at that moment this was not a nice presence. One day while putting my makeup on in my room, because I wasn't going to do it in the bathroom ever again, I was listening to my son play his recorder while he was in the living room. Now, I always hated that thing. He was terrible at it, but he was eight, so you know, he was doing his best, poor thing. As he screeched through his practicing of hot cross buns, the sound changed and I began to hear a very beautiful sound. Lots of vibrato, it was just lovely. I was about to get up and come watch him when I heard him scream. Mom! Mom! I flew out of my bed and into the living room. The front door was open and the TV was moved yet again. The recorder was laying on the couch. I screamed his name and I heard him yell back again, Mom! I rushed outside and I didn't see any sign of him, but I could still hear him yelling. I followed the sound back to the house. It was coming from the bathroom. I flung the door open and there he was, sitting on the toilet in the dark. He asked me why I turned the light off. He told me that I scared him. I told him that I didn't. He said, Aha, uh -huh, Mom. The door opened and I saw your hand. It flipped the light off. In an effort not to scare him anymore, while still trying to catch my own breath, I simply told him I was sorry 
I didn't realize he was in there. I had had enough. I couldn't move and I couldn't afford it. I didn't know what to do. My friend from work told me to get the house blessed, but my religion didn't really do those things. She actually brought me about a gallon of blessed holy water from her church and told me to recite the Lord's Prayer and sprinkle it all over the house. Not really believing that this would work, I didn't have any other options. I waited until my son was at daycare and began slowly going through the house. Just like I saw in the Exorcist movie, I imitated the cross with my hands and sprinkled it throughout the house. I felt silly at first, but I was praying so hard at the same time. Please, please, even if this isn't going to work, God, just get whatever is in here out of here. While in the living room, everything seemed fine. I began walking down the hallway, but I started to feel heavier. I don't know, it's very hard to explain. I repeated the Lord's Prayer over and over, and more violently splashed the holy water around. Something was behind me. I could feel it, almost on top of me. I was terrified. I walked through my son's room, the bathroom, my room, and then to the laundry room. I felt like I was slinging this holy water all over the place at this point. Just picture me flailing about slinging holy water, because that's pretty much how terrified I was at this point. I entered the laundry room, and I all of a sudden got very hot. Then, very cold. A breeze of air whisked past my neck. But then nothing. Instantly, that sulfur smell in the laundry room was gone. I felt at peace. Like it literally felt better inside the house. I'm not sure if I had gotten rid of the spirit or not, but I kept the remainder of the holy water I had in the jug inside the laundry room, just in case I needed it. After that, all of these happenings stopped. I was so relieved and finally felt safe after a couple of months of nothing happening. Fast forward four years. I was dating a longtime friend and now current husband. We decided that it was time to move in together, and since I had two bedrooms, it only made sense for him to move into my place. Everything was great. I had my son, an amazing man in my life, and I was just overjoyed. Until one morning. My then-boyfriend, now husband, told me that he hadn't gotten any sleep because he spent all night praying with his rosary because of a ghost that he had seen in the room. He began to describe her, and chills ran all over my body. Tears filled my eyes. Mind you, I never told him the ghost story. I had almost forgotten about it, because so much time had passed. I never even thought of bringing it up. I had to tell him what had happened there before. He was sure what he saw was real, and I assured him that I believed him. He said that he would see the woman almost once a week, standing near the bed or in the doorway pointing at the front door. One night he said that she was squatting down right beside the bed, just looking at him. We knew we had to move. I could not go through that again. We quickly found a new place and got the hell out of there. I wanted to get my full deposit back, so on the last day, once everything was moved out, 
I went back after work to vacuum the carpet. Opening the door to the empty place was bittersweet. So many memories with my son and I there, and I almost felt a little sad that I had to leave. That was quickly demolished as I began to walk down the hallway to start the vacuum in my room. I felt a slow, steady breeze of cold air and a very strong presence. I turned around, and again that heavy feeling. I ran as fast as I could to the front door. I got out, locked the door, and never turned back. About a month later, I received my deposit check from the old landlord. Minus $60 for a carpet cleaning fee. You can keep the $60. We now live in a presence-free home, and I'm so happy to not have to worry anymore. Anyways, I hope you all found this interesting. This set of events happened about eight years ago when I was still living at home. My brother had a few friends that would always come over to hang out, but this one friend in particular started coming over more often, to the point where he literally just moved in. At first, he seemed normal enough, until I started noticing odd things about him. He would always be in the background, just staring like he wasn't all the way there. He would walk past me and I swear it felt like he was looking straight into my soul, not moving his eyes from me once while passing. His eyes would look empty, but when he would look at you, you could feel all the hairs on your body stand up and your heart stop. I knew something was wrong. At the time, I couldn't explain what was happening or what was wrong with this guy, but... Later, I would get my answer. His name was Kyle. It was when Kyle had been at our house for a couple of weeks now that things started to get weird in our home. Very weird. The first instance was when my parents, boyfriend, and I had all been watching a movie in our living room. We were all cozied up when, all of a sudden, I started feeling burning on the back of my neck. I placed my hand on my neck and started rubbing it wondering why it was burning. My boyfriend tells me to turn so he can take a look at it, and once he does, he gets this strange expression on his face. I ask him what's wrong, and he says, You have three scratch marks on the back of your neck. Confused, I go to the bathroom to take a look, and sure enough, there are three long scratch marks on the back of my neck. After that first instance, I always felt like something was off while being at home. It felt like you weren't alone. The next occurrence was one night at around 2 in the morning. I had gone to the kitchen to grab a drink. I was the only one still awake at that time, so it was eerily dark and quiet as I made my way to the kitchen. As I'm turning the corner to flick on the lights, I felt the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. And all of a sudden, I felt this huge pressure on my back, like someone or something had climbed onto me. My heart stopped in that moment, 
as I felt an immediate presence with me. I turned around so fast and booked it back to my room that I completely forgot about the drink. As I sat on my bed, trying to process what had just happened, I started feeling that same burning sensation, but on my arm this time. I looked down and, sure enough, there are three long scratch marks going down my arm. I take a picture of it so I can show my parents the next day and prove that something weird is going on in this house. I felt like I was getting targeted by something I could not see. Turns out I wasn't the only one. My dad was sitting in the living room one night watching TV alone when all of a sudden his phone went flying from the side table across the room. About 15 minutes later, he hears this loud snap and something flies past his head. He looks down to find one of the ceiling fan blades laying at his feet. He looked up to see how this could have possibly just happened and that's when he realized the blade had literally been snapped off from the ceiling fan and nearly missed his head as it came flying down. Our family dog would always go crazy at night at the end of the hallway where my brother's room was. He would stare up at the ceiling right above my brother's closed door, growling and barking his head off like he was seeing something. I would be sleeping at night and would wake up to somebody whispering, Dana in a deep male's voice right beside my ear. I got scratched a few other times, and it was always three long scratches on different parts of my body. I never felt alone at that point. One day out of the blue, my brother said his friend was moving out. Yes, he was still living here this entire time, even though nobody ever invited him to stay. He just showed up one day with a few trash bags full of his belongings and never left. My family is the type that accepts everyone and if someone is in need of a place to stay, we welcome them in without a second thought. I wish we would have thought a little more this time. Anyways, his friend Kyle decides he's ready to go back home. As he is leaving, I again feel his eyes on me the entire time he's leaving. Like I'm the only one in the room and he's looking straight into my soul. I get shivers still thinking about the way he would look at me. It was as if he didn't have a soul himself. He was just empty inside. It turns out there was a reason all of the previous occurrences were happening. My brother came clean about his friend. He admitted that there was something very, very wrong with him and it was actually my brother who had finally asked him to leave. It turns out the very first day Kyle arrived at our house to move in, something happened almost immediately when he got to my brother's room and shut the door behind him. He sat down, closed his eyes, and started chanting very loudly. My brother looks at him, confused, and asks, What the hell are you doing, dude? Kyle completely ignores him and keeps chanting even louder now with his eyes still closed. My brother tells him to stop and that he's going to wake up my parents. Kyle finally stops and just looks at him. My brother asks what the hell all of that was about and Kyle proceeds to tell him that he was just inviting the light into your home and that he thought our family needed the light. 
My brother had no idea what he meant by this and just changed the subject. Well, it turns out what Kyle was really doing was inviting something else into our home. There was nothing good or light about it. He didn't just randomly show up one day and decide to move in. This was his intention all along. He knew we were a faithful family, and he was into some dark shit that we had no idea about. He purposely chose our home to invite his demons into. That was why he just showed up one day with all of his things and decided to move in without even asking. To Kyle, my brother's friend who I think was not Kyle at all, but something much, much darker. Let's not ever meet again. This story may not be as spooky as others you have received, but it is one of my favorite personal experiences. During quarantine of 2020, I got temporarily laid off from my full-time job, which allowed me time to mess around and do silly things. Some friends and I hung out almost every day and took up the hobby of our own urban exploration, which really just entailed us going around abandoned structures and houses to smash windows, do graffiti, and scare the shit out of each other. We are from the middle of nowhere Midwest, and this story takes place in the deep countryside of a little town about 45 minutes from the nearest big city. I'm trying to keep some sort of anonymity, because the things we did were technically illegal, and I'm not signing myself up for that kind of trouble. Anyways, We find ourselves bored one day, just cruising the back roads with the windows down, singing, smoking cigarettes, with the trunk full of baseball bats and spray paint. We find a desolate house that had faraway neighbors, grass to your waist, and looked extremely abandoned. We decided this is the perfect area to have some fun. It's still daylight, so we feel confident stepping out of the car and hollering a few hellos to make sure it was indeed abandoned. After no response, we waste no time breaking in, despite the no trespassing signage. We take our time to scope the place out at first, and the place looks like it hasn't had anyone there in years. In the kitchen, there were expired Big Reds with the year 2007 on it. There was torn up furniture, old boxes, rats, trash, dust, you name it. One of my friends, I'll call him John, immediately spoke up about how he was very unsettled about the place. The vibes were off and he was very nervous. I essentially told him to get over it. It's no big deal and that we won't get caught, thinking that's what he was nervous about. He said, No, I just don't think we should be here. I brush him off and make my rounds spray painting pentagrams, inverted crosses, and pot leaves on the walls and floor. We take turns smashing some windows and then continue to explore. We come across a photo album full of pictures of an old couple in different spots and situations. It made me feel uneasy and immediately got the vibe that it's time to go. 
Then all of a sudden, we all stop and look at each other. We all had been hit by the overwhelming stench of what could only be described as rotten flesh. I know that the smell of sulfur is associated with demons, but that is not what we were smelling. It was literally rotten flesh. It gets so quickly overwhelming that I say, let's get out of here. We ran out of the house and it was pitch black outside. I don't know how it got so dark so quickly. I don't know where the foul stench came from. But it all happened as soon as we started messing around with the photo album we found in this house. And John seemed to pick up on it before the other two of us did. Granted, I should have known better than to disrespect a house like this, but I was dumb, bored, and looking for a thrill. I'd returned to the house a few more times, but never had another encounter like this. Also, normally, I would always second-guess myself too, but the fact that my friends had the same experience and reaction really solidifies this experience for me. It also makes me wonder what I angered while there. If anyone has ever driven in Alabama, then you know that it can be a creepy state to drive through. I'm not sure where to start. I have a few experiences with the paranormal, which I have shared, but this is my only cryptid experience. I'm not sure what I witnessed, but we got a good look at it in broad daylight. The sighting happened just before noon. My girlfriend and I had some time off of work, so we decided on a much-needed getaway for a long weekend. This was early 2019, late January, maybe early February. It was pretty darn cold. That being said, if you know anything about southern USA, it doesn't get that cold. This was one of those rare days when it was 30 or 40 degrees Fahrenheit. I'm just trying to compile all of the events surrounding the sighting, so bear with me here. So we're on a highway in a swampy area. I have no idea of the exact location, but I can say that it was southern Alabama and close to Mississippi. There were a lot of bridges. I wish we could have gotten pictures, but the car was moving around 60 miles per hour when this happened. My girlfriend cries out for me to look. I turn my head and get a glimpse of this grotesque-looking creature. This thing was hunched down on all fours, possibly eating something. This all happened so fast, but I slowed down to get a better look. All of a sudden, the thing stands on two legs, and it has this humanoid figure, everything except the head. The head was goat-like, but it had the body of a man. There were horns and overall the head area resembled a light-colored goat. The creature started back towards the woods and we continued with our trip, but we couldn't stop talking about what we had just witnessed. I can't be 100% sure of what I saw as it all happened so fast, 
my girlfriend swears that it was a man with a goat head, and I'm certain that I saw the same thing. If anyone has any insight into cryptids of this type or a similar sighting, please share it here on the show. I did my best to research goat men in southern Alabama on the internet because coming from northern California in very rural areas where I grew up, you would see all kinds of weird things out there in the woods. But nothing like a goat man. This one was just so creepy, very eerie. It intrigued me. There are stories of goat men from all over the world. However, I couldn't find anything specific to southern Alabama. So if you have any information about this goat man, by all means, please share it with us. The only thing I could come up with was the goat man, Charles McCartney. He was this wanderer that just traveled up and down the eastern United States from 1930 to 1987 in this wagon that he had pulled by a team of goats. He was known as the goat man. Apparently, he had covered more than 100,000 miles and been to all of the states except for Hawaii. It's a really interesting story, but it's definitely not the goat man we're looking for. So again, please share any info that you might have about this creepy cryptid. Thank you all for listening to this week's episode of Odd Trails, and thanks for everyone that came out to see us do our live set at the Midsummer Scream Horror Convention. We had a lot of fun. Yeah, we had a blast meeting all of you. Uh, I think the panel went really well. Yeah, we got to tell a couple of stories, joke around a bit. We had Sapphire telling her stories. We had Johnny Compton. We had Shelby Scott. A bunch of people came to the booth for pictures afterwards to pick up some stickers and do like a meet and greet. Had a great time. We also got to sit directly across from the cast of Hocus Pocus. Which was awesome. That was, that was cool. Yeah, that was wild. Had such a great time. But man, are we tired. We we ended up uh, leaving at like four in the morning, the day of the convention. Oh. Yeah, we did our we did our stories, we did our panel, then we went back and we you know, after some drinks and some dinner, uh, we hung out with the, the gals from Drinking the Kool-Aid with Amanda and Cassidy. That was a lot of fun. But we just went back to the hotel and just crashed so hard. Then we had to get up at like five o'clock the next day because we're 30-somethings that wanted to go to Disneyland the day after all of this. And spent a whopping four hours there, did it all, and then crashed again. Exactly. We spent <laughs> just like four hours there. We were like, screw this, man. It just wasted all of our money in half of a day at Disneyland just came back and slept and then we just got some wings and beer and some ice cream passed out and flew back home and now we're trying to play catch up and uh, get this episode out there so I'm sorry for the lack of energy here on our outro we're both so tired I'm looking at you right now and just both of us we're both struggling just to keep our eyes open right now I'm glad you're uh, taking the rain on this one (laughs) I really am it's cool but we do have to address one thing because we've been talking about the Mandela effect recently oh that's right we just had one today Um, so I'll start from the beginning my friend showed me the movie Roadhouse years ago 15 20 years ago I had a great time watching it with uh, all of my friends there and there was one line in particular where one of the guys goes, are you serious? And the way he delivers it is so dorky and doofy. We all thought it was so funny. We would repeat it to each other all the time. This was our saying for years. We would go, are you serious? To each other like that. And I want to say a couple of years ago, I went and visited you, Brandon, and your brother was there and you said something and I went, are you serious? And your brother said, Roadhouse. 
Like he knew right away that yeah, I was referencing yeah. Roadhouse. He just mm-hmm. knew it immediately. Well, today I went to post a GIF in response to something somebody said on Twitter, and it was the GIF of the guy going, are you serious? But I couldn't find it. So I typed Roadhouse, are you? And then I clicked the GIF that popped up. It was the guy's face, but it said, are you kidding? Hmm. It was so bizarre. So I went and found the clip on YouTube. I'm going to watch the movie myself. I have it on VHS. I'm going to see if maybe it was changed or something. Hmm, but probably. I watched the clip and the guy goes, are you kidding? And it sounds so unnatural. It sounds completely wrong, man. Hmm. I know for a fact it was, are you serious? I asked. I my, thought it was too. I asked my friend uh, that watched it originally with me. I asked him, hey, what was that line from Roadhouse that we always repeated? And he said, are you serious? Right back hmm. to me. There's no way. There's no way that that was. Are you kidding? The entire time. If you're a fan of Roadhouse, the one fan listening to our podcast that loves the movie Roadhouse, <laughs> uh, let us know if you uh, if you remember it that way because it's such a memorable line because it, it feels out of place. It's so canned and silly. Anyways, if you have any Mandel effects, let us know as well. Did we get any emails? Yeah, actually, we received one from Timothy Rab, who goes on to say. I think I can adequately explain why thousands of people falsely remember the Berenstain Bears to be spelled Berenstein. The explanation can be attributed to neurological heuristics, which entail the ways our brain creates shortcuts in its memory banks that allow us to group certain concepts, words, spellings, etc. together to allow us to more easily remember them. If we were forced to remember every word and concept as a completely distinctive memory, we would not have enough bandwidth in our brains to store the massive amounts of discrete information we'd be forced to memorize. So our brain uses heuristics, mental shortcuts, to group memories into general categories, making distinct concepts more easy to remember. In the case of the Berenstain Bears, our false memory of the incorrect spelling is the most easily explainable due to the fact of the common nominal Jewish suffix Stein, hmm. as in Goldstein, Feldstein, Einstein, Rubenstein, and Bernstein, German for stone. It's always spelled with an E rather than an A. Consequently, the correct spelling of the Berenstain Bears is incredibly anomalous and the brain remembers it incorrectly as Berenstein, because our brains assume that such a spelling is far more likely to be correct on account of its widespread commonality. It just so happens that the brain's heuristic assumption is incorrect in this case, due to the very uncommon spelling of the Berenstain bears. Hopefully this makes sense. Tim. It's an interesting theory. It makes sense. It's a good theory, and it does Mm -hmm. make sense. But there are just too many people. It's just there's just too many of us that all think the same way. I don't I don't know one singular person that has responded to this particular Mandela effect, the Berenstain Berenstein Bears thing, mm-hmm. with saying, "Oh yeah, it was definitely Berenstain. I remember Berenstain." Every single human being that's responded to this online or that I've talked to in person. Literally everyone. I haven't seen anybody say that it's Berenstain. All of us are having this exact neurological malfunction or whatever. You know, mm-hmm. that's it's still hard to believe. It's a good theory. I appreciate you writing in, but for me, it's a little hard to believe because it's just too big of a coincidence. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, but th- uh, thanks for writing in, though. That was awesome. I'd love for our listeners to send more stuff like that because that's super informative. I'm going to be doing some more research on that specific uh, topic there. But uh, yeah, I just had to point out that one <laughs> Roadhouse Mandela effect that I had. But uh, thanks, everyone, for listening. This week you have heard I Am Not an Exorcist by Heather Lee, The Demon in My House by Dana, The Smell of Death by Chloe, and finally The Goat Man of Southern Alabama by Leelock 5. All the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. If you got a story to share, make sure you send it to stories at oddtrails.com. And if you want to get access to the ad-free versions of all of these episodes at a higher bit rate for the best listening experience possible, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails. We'll see you all next week for a brand new episode. Stay safe. Peace out.